Hey there, Five Things listener. We talk a lot in the show about the social platforms we use, but very rarely do we talk about who we follow. And we all follow people online. But did you ever wonder who those people follow? Every week on the Follow Friday podcast, you'll find out. It's a guide to the best people on the internet, including past guests like Song Exploders' Harisha Keish-Hirway, YouTube star Tom Scott, and New York Times writer Kara Swisher. A lot of the folks that host Eric Johnson has interviewed are people I follow. So search for Follow Friday in your podcast app now or go to followfridaypodcast.com. Welcome to the five things this week in social. Each week, we hop on our bikes riding around Hawkins, Indiana, searching for the five most out-of-this-world stories in social media that leave signals through our best friends. You know, he was just a normal kid until one day he accidentally opened that portal into an alternate world. But we make stories make sense and explain them better than we can explain a girl who likes waffles and can move things with her mind. Today, we have Tommy Boyce and Jordan Patrick here. Hello, Tommy. Hello, Jordan. Hi, Joey. I also levitate to Kate Bush, so I'm happy for this. Yeah, that was that was... That was a good intro. I like that a lot. Well, thank you so much. Question. Do either of you have any scary stories from your hometown? Any paranormal activities that have ever happened in your hometown, Jordan? Not that comes to mind, honestly. Yeah, no. Okay. Tommy, anything for you? I mean, I grew up outside our nation's capital, so politics are pretty scary. So I got that. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo, and this isn't Stranger Things. It's five things. First up, Tommy leads us off with TikTok announcing their plans to celebrate the LGBTQIA plus community for Pride Month. Then Jordan stays with TikTok, who launched a creator crediting tool. Then Tommy also sticks with TikTok, who published a report on the benefits of an integrated media strategy. Then Jordan jumps over to Instagram, who tests new reaction tools for reels and stories. And finally, Tommy takes on Twitter's launch of spaces for super followers only. There's a lot of TikTok this week. Tommy, kick it off. So TikTok was just a high gay, happy Pride Month moment, but not actually, because unlike the Meg Stalter video that goes viral every year making fun of corporate Pride events, TikTok announced their commitment to, quote, providing a safe and inclusive space for our LGBTQIA plus community to share their stories, connect, listen, and learn from one another. This June, the platform is launching Pride Together, a celebration featuring hashtag for your pride in app programming, TikTok lives naming 2020 LGBTQ plus trailblazers and highlighting queer owned businesses. They're even doing a TikTok takeover of LA Pride as the official sponsor for the LA Pride Parade and Festival. There's also initiatives like hashtag Pride Music, where during the month of June, the sounds page will be spotlighting queer artists like Janelle Monet, Dove Cameron, Muna, and more. There's a lot in this press release. I definitely recommend people to check it out. And of course, follow and check out the queer businesses and creators that are being highlighted during this month. I obviously think it's great that TikTok is supporting the queer community. I know that there have been issues in the past and present even of queer creators being silenced by the algorithm and the app restricting LGBT-related hashtags in some countries like Russia and China. So the fact that the company and platform is boldly coming out in support, not even boldly, just coming out in support of its creators who are queer is a step in the right direction away from maybe the not great habits of the past. And especially to me, when so much of what makes TikTok great comes from queer creators, I'm obviously biased, but I think straight TikTok is the pits and that queer people are the funniest, most creative people on the platform. You know, culture famously starts from Black trans people and then is funneled up to 
straight white folk. So creating a space that allows queer creators to thrive is simply in TikTok's best interest if they want to keep having content that is compelling and creative and makes the app a better space and a more entertaining space. And I'm glad to see they're attempting to better themselves and to make that space as creative and as welcoming and hospitable to queer creators as possible. Jordane, curious, do you feel like this is a natural move for TikTok? Does it does it feel forced coming from this brand? I don't think it feels forced. I think TikTok has shown that it does care about the user experience, whether that experience overall is a good thing or a bad thing, because it is a lot of just scrolling and watching videos. But as far as this push to be authentic and give these creators this space during Pride Month to really showcase themselves and highlight what they're doing on the platform, I think it's I think it's definitely a step in the positive direction, especially during a time where lots of brands come out and it's just rainbow capitalism, just slapping the flag on something or whatnot. This really shows that they care. Even beyond just their creators, they also are doing stuff within their own company to highlight members of the LGBT. TQIA plus community. So I think it's very authentic and a natural step for them. And I think other companies should take notes on like how to do this right. Yeah, it almost feels like TikTok is the place where so much of culture happens anyway. So it almost feels, it feels very natural to me. Tom, anything else to say on this one? Yeah, obviously every year we see brands coming out in support of Pride. Sometimes it is people putting money where their mouth is or companies putting the money where their mouth is and actually making statements. Other times it's bizarre rainbow logos or companies that should not talk about pride talking about pride. But for TikTok and so much of their community and ecosystem is creators. And again, it's queer creators who make that app what it is. And it's a noted thing that, not a noted thing, but I've seen so many people realize that they are queer on TikTok. And I've talked to so many people in my own life who realized they were queer or trans through finding queer creators and queer videos on TikTok. It really is great to see that they're actually supporting the community that makes the app what it is. So I'm happy and it feels great that this app is actually doing the work and helping make it a better space for the people who make the app what it is. Yeah, it's great. All right, let's stick with TikTok and let's jump over to their creator crediting tools. Jordan, you want to explain that one to us? Yeah, for sure. So TikTok is introducing new tools to better enable creator credit and equitable attribution for their creator community and content originators. So with the launch of these crediting tools, creators will have the ability to directly tag, mention, and credit a video in their description, showcasing the diverse voices on the platform and the strength of their community. So basically what TikTok is doing is taking it a step further as far as creators on the platform being able to give credit for when trends originate, whether that be like popular dances, jokes, skits, whatever the case may be, they're making it very easy and seamless within the user experience to give this credit. And it's kind of cool, like there's actually screenshots of how they're implementing it directly from when you post videos. There's an option that explains how individuals can give credit, why they should be giving credit. And this is a response to a lot of conversation that's gone on in the past couple of years as the platform has grown to the lack of credit that's given to creators that are bringing a lot of these trends. One of the most popular instances of this was a couple of years ago when the Renegade dance really took off on the platform and the creator of the actual dance, Jill Leia Hartman, it was like she kind of just fell to the background and a lot of other creators who were make doing dances got to go on like shows and 
got to have all this press and whatnot, but her, the originator of it, didn't receive as much credit until way later on. So this is just another example of TikTok listening to the community and taking into account the power of their platform and what the users want to see. And I think it's very interesting. And, and it shows how something as simple as just integrating it into the overall UX can make something that everyone has been asking for and needed easy to do. I'm interested, Tommy, how you think this can impact even just like how you were mentioning Pride and how a lot of like Black, Black trans creators are the ones originating a lot of trends. How do you think they'll feel about this or benefit from these this new implementation of features? Yeah, so this is, I think, a really great move by TikTok. TikTok's two for two today, which we love. And when it comes to a dance or a sound, having a life of its own. Speaking of pride, I think of the, there's a sound, I don't know if you guys have heard it, where it's like, would you rather slay so much that it loses meaning or never, it's British, never slay again. And that sound has had a wild, wild life of its own. Even just like slay becoming a part of our lexicon can be tied back to a few uh, queer videos that now I see all over the app and just out in the wild again. The ability to be credited for your work and, you know, get monetary results from that work, I think is really beneficial and will help creators, one, make a living for their work, which TikTok obviously wants to have creators being able to come to their account exclusively and make a living. But two, it will encourage people to keep making content, knowing that they're going to be credited for the work and effects they have on culture, which that is just something that hasn't happened before. You think of there was obviously the black strike that happened on TikTok I believe it was last summer or even before, trying to highlight the work that Black creators do that is not noticed when their sounds or dances are being taken, like the Renegade dance. And so I really think this is a great step forward for just noting the work that marginalized communities do and the effect that it has on the app and on culture as a whole. So I think this is a really great step forward by TikTok. Yeah, TikTok's killing it again. Like I said, I think TikTok is at the pulse of culture. And so this is a great way to give credit where it's due. All right. We haven't talked about TikTok for a while in the show before today. And so I feel like we had to like really make up for it with three stories in a row. So we're going to go for the trifecta here. Tommy, tell us about TikTok publishing a new report on the benefits of a good old integrated media strategy. Yeah. So finishing our very TikTok week, the company released a report that stated the importance of having an integrated media strategy as the media landscape is changing and traditional media consumption has declined. It is important to know that people aren't consuming fewer hours of entertainment. In fact, overall video consumption has been steadily increasing as options and access to entertainment increase and diversify. And despite viewers having more options, linear or I guess traditional TV still remains extremely influential within entertainment and will continue to be a marketing temple. It's not going away. We're not losing TV, even as streaming services like Netflix don't have commercials for the moment. Netflix might be changing that in the future or will be in the future. But as consumer attention spreads across new platforms, so should marketing strategies change and reflect these new behaviors. So the report detailed that brands can compound success by combining linear TV, TikTok, it's from TikTok, and streaming services into one versatile marketing strategy. The report showed that users who were primed by TikTok paid more attention to brand cues, like product shots or branding, when they saw them later on TV or streaming services. There's even a similar trend when TikTok is paired in a different order because participants showed an even higher lift in attention when they first saw a brand on TV or streaming service and then saw the same brand on TikTok. Finally, the report shows that pairing the TikTok algorithm with TV or streaming services therefore doesn't only lift awareness, intention, and engagement, but it also boosts brand likability and relevance. So there's still a lot in the report that we don't have time to touch on. There's even some great examples and case studies from Old Navy. So again, 
check that out. TikTok is actually really great at these kinds of reports. I feel like we talk about them a lot because they're steadily just churning out great marketing content. And yeah, I'm not sure what else there is to say about it. Obviously, as viewing habits and behaviors change, it's more important than ever that we are malleable and make the most of our campaigns with an omnipresent, omnichannel approach. We can't just treat social and TV or out-of-home campaigns as separate entities. We have to make them work together for you know a sort of joint slay moment. So it's just a great reminder of making the most out of your campaigns and treating TikTok and TV and social as just one extended viewing pattern. Jordan, what would you glean from this report that you might give back to a client? I think the most important thing here is understanding your audience and understanding where their eyes are, but then how they're ingesting your content. I think that's the key component here. The brands that show up on TikTok really well are the ones that aren't just taking their linear TV commercials and doing cut downs of them and just throwing them on the platform. They're really taking into consideration the ways that people are taking in content on the platform, the tools that are available on the platform, and really leaning into those to tell this consistent brand story. One example that's not on TikTok, but a good example of a brand tapping into a native platform features. I forgot what company it was, but basically the ad is, it ran on YouTube and it was like, oh, um, I think it was Geico, I think. And it was basically saying that it was a quick thing about the ad and it was like so fast, you can't even skip it or it's already over or something like that. And that was basically tapping into the fact that on YouTube, most ads can be skipped after five seconds. So the commercial itself was only five seconds and before they could even skip it, it was done. And that's just a really good example of how you can use these platforms as it pertains to TikTok. And to your point, Tommy, about them coming out with really good reports, we actually had a rep come and speak to the whole agency. And they had some examples of commercials and ways that brands have activated on the platform. And one of the cool things that they showed was how one brand in particular, they shot this specific commercial for TV, but then they shot the same exact commercial. So it was the same setting, same characters and whatnot, but it was filmed in the aspect ratio specifically for TikTok. It was a lot shorter and the content inside the video was more in line with what you would see on like a for you page or as you're just scrolling through the platform. So I think the key thing here is if brands want to show up properly on TikTok, it's not about being intrusive or just having ads. It's about being as native as possible and not only understanding where the eyes of the audience are, but how they're going to be taking in the content that you want to show them. That's a great analysis there. All right, let's jump off of TikTok and move over to Instagram. Jordan, tell us about the new reaction tools for Reels and Stories. Instagram, now, of course, owned by Meta. So a key element of Meta's Metaverse push is the use of digital avatars in more ways, particularly interacting within wholly immersive spaces. But Meta also wants to enable non-virtual reality users to engage in the same way with the characters that they choose to represent themselves, becoming a more prominent extension of their personality and presence. So to do that, Meta needs to make its avatars more engaging. Their latest tactic is the addition of avatar reactions as an option within Instagram stories. So 
for all those that are familiar with Instagram stories, when you swipe up or tap to interact with content like in a story, there's an option where you can select emojis or you can write something to react to the story. But now they're giving users the option to respond with an avatar. And what's cool is when you click on the option, if you do want to respond with an avatar, you're giving the option if you don't already have one to create one. And then you can, after you finish creating that character or avatar, you can then use it with like predetermined like reactions or like pre-designed reactions and whatnot to respond to the video. So for anyone who's familiar with either Bitmoji or um, Apple's Memojis, this is very, very similar in that it's giving people this digital animated extension of themselves that can then be used to interact with other content online. So it's kind of intertwining the lines of what's real, what's only digital, what's meta, what's physical. It's really giving people this additional extension of themselves in this way. And that's a big push on their end because they do realize that people are more inclined to interact with um, this type of technology when they can see themselves represented in a way that embodies who they are in real life. And the article goes on to explain how these conversations also tie to things like NFTs and how those will be changing and how as of late, like everybody's been talking about the NFT bubble and how it's bursting and whatnot and how creators or people who are designing NFTs are scrambling to try to incorporate different forms of utility and making like more community-based projects and giving people more than just pictures and whatnot. This shows that while these technologies are still new and people are maybe not as receptive to them on a massive scale yet, things like this where people can actually show themselves and depict these personal characteristics of themselves are what they're looking for. So it's interesting and I think it's a step in in a positive direction as far as being able to give people what they're looking for in that regard. It's, you know, what's so interesting about this, right, is that with Bitmoji and some of these, you know, ways that you can participate in in the economy, in in these games like Roblox and things like that. Tommy, would you buy your avatar a Gucci bag or a Nike sweatsuit? Would you spend real money on virtual goods? I would not. I don't even have a Gucci bag for real life, May. Um, but I know people who would. So I do think that this is still a very smart way of, again, Joey, to your point, bringing the economy into the virtual world, into the metaverse. Obviously, the metaverse, a vital part of it is the ability to buy and share goods. And I really do think that as we get more into it, there will be people, and I'm sure there already are. We see the pattern and behavior of people buying million-dollar NFTs with the Bored Apes or just using that as a way to personalize or extend their personal brand into the online world. So I think with this behavior, Instagram with this new reaction and going down that kind of rabbit hole is a right step in their goal of trying to make the metaverse a part of their brand and trying to get users into it one step at a time. Jordan, do you think this is an opportunity then to change things up and try to do things differently or just maintain what we do in the real world in our meta world? I think it's a little bit of both. I think you don't want to, if you stray way too far away from what we're doing in the real world, then I think it becomes a little fragmented and not as many people are as interested. But if there's elements of it that are still similar to what people know, I think 
think it's it's more enjoyable and it, it, it reaches a broader audience. Still, I'm a big user of like Snapchat and Bitmoji. And for example, it's very easy to switch out outfits on your Bitmoji. And I don't do it all the time, but I do it for fun during certain holidays or whatever. Like Memorial Day just passed. So I had to throw like shorts and sunglasses on my Bitmoji and just be so, so that it has a similar vibe of what I'm doing at the moment just for fun. So I think those aspects and where it's like, it doesn't have to be exactly the same, but people do like a parallel experience from virtual to physical. Yeah. You got to mix it up for your friends. You know, they get, yeah. they get sick of looking at me in my all black emoji all the time. All right, let's jump over to Twitter. Tommy, take us home with Twitter launching super follower only spaces. Yes, so Twitter is rolling out a new subscriber only element to help creators build their in-app communities with super follower only spaces, now available to selected creators that offer subscriptions. As explained by Twitter, now with super follower only spaces, creators can offer an extra layer of conversation to their biggest supporters beyond tweets, by engaging them through live audio. The new super followers only spaces will have a different color palette for the spaces link with a note at the top that it's a super followers only broadcast. Those who aren't paying subscribers will still be able to see the broadcasts when they are shared, but they'll need to sign on as a super follower to get immediate access to live event. So this does look like it could be a good way for creators to help build their subscriber base by offering exclusive spaces that users can see the preview of for and also see who else is tuning in. Users who are not subscribed might just feel a good bit of FOMO, which could be, you know, a great incentive for them to actually subscribe and sign up. Super followers overall hasn't seemed to catch that much steam as Twitter continues to experiment with creator monetization features with the goal of giving top creators more reason to make the app a bigger focus and a bigger part of their brand. The platform hasn't released any official stats on super follower usage, but in its most recent earnings report, which I looked up, the company noted that it brought a 94 million from subscription and other revenue basis in the period, which is actually a decrease from last year. And given that super followers was launched just in last September, that would suggest that interest thus far hasn't been very high yet. Though at the same time, not many people can actually activate the option yet. It hasn't been rolled out to all creators. So as Twitter continues to try and increase engagement, monetization, audience growth, all these buzzwords, these new features will keep popping up. But this one does seem to be, you know, more attractive than others. So who knows? Maybe I'll have to start actually super following people in order to get their content. Although I'm actually not sure saying that out loud if I'm going to end up doing that. But we'll see what happens. Crazier things have happened. We won't hold you to yes, it. We won't hold we you do to it. it. Well, I am curious. I mean, you did mention the FOMO and this really does clearly seem like a way to get people to sign up for Super Follow. So I'm just curious, Jordan, is it something you think you'd be interested in in doing or do you feel like you're good with the Twitter spaces that you have access to? Um, I think I'm good with the Twitter spaces I have access to. I do see this being specific to people, specific type of creators on the platform, but a lot of the people I follow and whatnot, they prefer the more people, the merrier. So it's like for the way that they tweet and what they talk about and how they um, enjoy being on the pulse of culture, it while it does help to be able to segment certain conversations, a lot of the people I follow would prefer to just get as much of it out there as possible. And in response, I feel like alternatively, Twitter has like the tip jar feature now and whatnot. So it gives them a additional way to monetize what they're doing without necessarily having to lock off certain aspects of their content. But I do see how this could benefit certain creators and um, in audiences who are interested in their content. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it will certainly have an appeal to some, but maybe not a broad appeal to all. Any other thoughts on this one, Tommy, before we wrap it up? No, I think especially 
I mean, talking about Twitter, obviously the Elon Musk deal, which isn't a major story. It's it's being held up. We don't know what's going to happen. He's actually being sued by Twitter shareholders for driving down the stock price. So it's more important than ever, it's, I think, to keep an eye on Twitter and see what tools. I mean, there's so much. Even Jack just left the board. So like, we're going to keep talking about Twitter. They're going to keep launching these features. They're going to keep trying to get their audience growth and base. And yeah, so I'm excited to see just what happens. You know, I love Twitter. You know, I love seeing what's going on internally. So excited to keep talking about it. All right. Well, we will keep a close eye on it and you keep a close ear on us. That does it for us this week. Um, just want to say throughout the month of June, we will be bringing you some special episodes. So please listen for those. And if you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints. You can send those over to podcasts at gray.com. I want to thank Jordan and Tommy for joining us. Danielle and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. Thank Thank you. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, be social. The five things are written and researched by the social and connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt, mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.